Okay. Hello, and uh, welcome to a, another episode of Average Joe's Zombie Survival Podcast. The second episode of Average Joe's Survival Podcast. Zombie Survival Podcast, the, actually. The long-awaited second yeah. episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose me and Alex should really apologise for the length of time this has uh, taken to be released. We're not the most technological people, and we we still have we still have work and such. So uh, we apologise. If there was a zombie outbreak in between these two episodes, it would be on us. Our bad. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. And Alex has been <laughs> swanning up in Iceland for the the month doing some field research, clearly into Which zombie outbreaks. Incidentally, it's a very good place to go in a zombie outbreak. Yeah, very low population, nice hills, mountains. It's amazing. There you go. And I've been uh, I've been obviously doing some research in uh, Gran Canaria for the for a couple of weeks, and uh, so that's the reason. You haven't had any podcast since then, but we we are now that we've worked out how to do this long distance malarkey, long distance podcasting, which hasn't been easy. Um, we will hopefully be able to do this on a more regular basis, and you'll get some content. Um, perhaps every two weeks, I think, would be a two weeks sounds good. Yeah, I think that I'm going to immediately um, apologize in advance because I will be in Italy for a couple of days, and if that falls on those two weeks, I would like to. To prepare our viewers, well, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, well, it, it won't be an exact science, but we will try and get content out every two weeks, even if we have to record before and we release on that two-week fortnightly thing. Yeah. So expect it fortnightly. Um, but apologies, obviously, it's been just over a month now since the, the first episode came out. And that's on us, I think. So, yeah, yeah we're going to try uh, a few new things today. Um, hopefully you'll enjoy it a bit more. There'll be a few... Um, new content, new sections that we can go through, and um, really, we'll start adding things and over the time uh, from suggestions and stuff. And hopefully, you'll enjoy today a bit more than last month. And hopefully, you'll enjoy two weeks' time a bit more than today. But if you're still with us uh, from last month, thank you for coming back. And if you're new, then welcome to the podcast. We're also talking about the possibility of guests later on, if we can work out the technology behind that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll see, see what it's like trying to get a three-way Skype conversation going. But... Yeah, that, that, that will come when, uh, when I'm far more advanced in this, uh, this technology <laughs> thing. But anyway, uh, on that note, we'll go into our first section, and we'll see you on the other side of this jingle. Okay, and welcome back from the jingle. Um, this is the first of three parts uh, for today's podcast, and it's an entirely new section, and it's called The Zombie Story of the Week, uh, where we bring you up-to-date, or in this case, not so up-to-date, we'll come <laughs> to that later, uh, news of everything zombie in the news for the week, um, or for the two weeks. And today we have an article which was from, well, an incident, really, which was from 2012, yeah, I believe. May 26th. Um, yeah, there you go. And we picked this one, really. One, because this is, I think, Alex's favourite zombie story of all time. <laughs> and two, because it's it's a big one, um, and it'll, it'll, it'll get you started on the kind of thing that we're going to be going for over the next uh, couple of weeks, really. Um... So, Alex, uh, as it's your your story, uh, why don't you start off and uh, give us a bit of a lowdown on what happened? Okay, so 
this is one story that I quite like because I was alive for it. And hopefully most of the listeners will have been alive for this story unless they're below the age of two. Uh, which we don't recommend this podcast for people under the age of two. No, d- disclaimer there. Um, <laughs> yeah. But basically, in fact, this story is probably not suitable for anyone under the age of eighteen. Uh, if you're um, under the age of eighteen, probably best to go and get parental permission to listen to it. <laughs> um, and if you're over eighteen, if you want to go get parental permission, uh, feel free. It couldn't hurt. Um, <laughs> no, it can't hurt, and then legally we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on, Max. Okay, so basically the gist of it was that a man, Rudy Eugene, in Miami, was found naked, um, assaulting and essentially eating a homeless man called Ronald Popo. Um, obviously uncharacteristic behaviour of any person, really, um, eating someone's face. That's, I think we pretty much covered that in the first episode. Um, but it was obviously it obviously caused quite a lot of concern around Miami and in America in general. Um, the following zombie pranks that came as a result of this were taken a lot more seriously. I think there's one video where someone pulls a gun on someone for pretending to be a zombie. Um, wow. Because he genuinely thought that it was a zombie. And I think I think in the interview, the reason he gave for not shooting was that he didn't think it would make a difference if he shot a zombie. So <laughs> that's quite a, quite a big impact that this incident left. Um, Fair enough. The, I think... It's it's worth looking through this and looking at what suggests that it could be from a zombie outbreak and what what is against that theory because even today, like by this point in the present, they haven't worked out exactly what caused it. So well, I think the I think the main thing that they were confused about was that he was he didn't really have a track record of this kind of like activity. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a quote from his uh, from a high school friend, um, and it says, "The Rudy we know was a nice gentleman with a warm smile and funny, uh, but he was not a face-eating zombie monster." Um, Just fair. So, Just fair. <laughs> yeah, as uh, most people. So I think it was the shock that this this man had uncharacteristically like assaulted this 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 homeless and defenseless person. Um, in such a way that was, I think it shocked a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, when we look at the wiki page, it says that he had a history of domestic violence, but it sort of implies that he was quite looking to repent. Um, a lot of his things were, were uh, like marijuana related as well. And he expressed a desire to quit, apparently. So it doesn't <laughs> sound like someone who's who's on the verge of eating someone's face. You know. No, I mean, like, he doesn't sound a pleasant man. Um, he doesn't sound like a saint, so to speak. But at the same time, he he doesn't sound or seem to have a track record of this kind of violence, which would suggest that something clicked very, very quickly. Yeah. And changed. And I think also the like the the way the attack came out, um, as in like the the, the cannibalism that was involved. Yeah, um, and from what I heard, and it's not on this wiki page as far as I can see, nor is it on Google anywhere that I managed to find. But the rumors that I heard were that he was com- he was commanded to stop by the police, and his response was to growl and charge them. And again, you know, it, it makes you it, it's not really um, that strange to think that a lot of people took this as a as a zombie outbreak rather than just a case of. 
regular cannibalism. I, I don't know if you can call cannibalism regular, but <laughs> so yeah, the the I mean the evidence um, that they found suggested that he was taking drugs that have been coined bath salts. To my understanding, it's just a mix of drugs in a pill or something. Right. Or something. There, there was a um, uh, they did say, however, that the toxicology report from the police came back negative, which again points to something rather disturbing about the attack. Yeah. So they they were only able to conclusively find the presence of marijuana, and I know I know quite a lot of people who have dabbled in uh in taking weed. None of them have tried to eat my face, so. I mean, on personal experience, I'm going to say that probably wasn't the cause. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think uh, I think we could probably say that categorically <laughs> that uh, weed was not the cause. Um, even though it's probably not good for you, it definitely doesn't have that kind of uh, effect on people. Yeah. And um, I mean, when which... we look at the the sudden the sudden burst of violence, like you said, like that happened very rapidly. That's very characteristic of the typical zombie um, symptoms and of diseases that seem to follow the same sort of suit. I went um, off on a tangent last time talking about rabies, but that's another symptom of, of that is the extreme and very sudden violence. So, Well, this guy lost 75 to 80% of his face um, in the attack. Which is quite, quite a significant amount for someone to eat. Well, really, you don't want to be losing any percentage. <laughs> like, I would be rather devastated if I lost two to three percent of my face. Yeah, I um, I hear stories. About I believe, people. however, he survived. Yeah, um, it says non-fatal injuries, which gives us a counter a counter to the theory of a zombie attack, because you would, in theory, believe then that Ronald Popo should be a zombie, and I've not heard Yet. any news of a second zombie, though. The interesting thing about him is until the attack, it says that his his family thought he were dead. He was dead for like 30 years. So he completely dropped wow. off the radar. And as far as I can see, there's not been much on him since. So so they did technically, they did find out that he was undead. Um, <laughs> at that point. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, but I, I mean, though we haven't heard anything from him, if it was a zombie outbreak then would we have heard anything on him? It's quite a big case. I don't know if it would have been broadcasted. Well, I think like, the, the idea behind it is not that uh, he was a zombie or that this um, other, other the attacker was a zombie, but like how heavily ingrained um, zo- the idea of zombies are in culture nowadays. Oh, definitely. Um, like, as soon as this came out, the, he was branded the Miami zombie. Like, straight away, the press were on it. Like, this is the Miami zombie. Um, whereas you could have gone for like many other things like uh, uh, cannibal and stuff like that, but like zombie was the first jump off point that everybody went to, and that kind of shows that there's this 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 brand in the psyche of a nation and of people in general that these kind of attacks and these kind of things are often categorised as zombie attacks. Yeah. Um, and this just it, it's kind of just showing how popular the theory is of zombies and really how quick we are to characterize things like that yeah it's also strange um how widely accepted the threat of zombie outbreak is um given that i've i've never personally encountered one but i i've heard apparently the american government have a contingency plan of some kind for for zombie or other like 
um, outbreak-related uh, like apocalypse situation. I don't know how true this is. I'm not actually a member of the American government, but I thought that was... Maybe they listened to our podcast last week. It could be. I mean, we were pretty convincing. <laughs> I mean, well, we, we could do that at some point. Like, watch this space. There could be a how to react to zombie apocalypse as a governmental body or organization. Um, well, it's worth, it's worth being aware of it, even as the average Joe. It's worth knowing what your government is likely to do. I mean, one that I always bring up is that after, say it gets to the stage where zombies are starting to outnumber people, the government's likely to start limiting resources because you've got highly densely populated areas with very important people that are probably going to get priority to electricity, water, um, food, things like that. So it's something to be aware of if you if you live on the outskirts or in rural areas, just the average Joe. It's worth knowing that you you can need to think about these things later on. So yeah. There you go. Well, uh, they, that is a nice segue into our next section, uh, where we're going to continue our discussion from last month um, and discuss where you should go um, during the opening days or weeks, even or hours of a uh, zombie outbreak. The sooner, the better. So, Alex. Yes, Nathan. I am in my house. I have collected a variety of tools, instruments, food items, drinking items, generators, all that stuff that we talked about last week that's vital for a zombie apocalypse survival. Uh, my neighbours are dying by the truckloads through various gruesome and incomprehensible deaths. Um, and I'm standing by my front door. And I'm wondering what to do next. Where do I go? What's the best place for me? Okay. Well, firstly, well done. You seem to be the only one of your neighbours that's managed to be prepared and survive this. So good job. Yeah, uh, it's pretty lucky. I'm in the centre of the street. The zombies are making their way down either side. So I'm, they, they kind of haven't got to me yet. Ah, good. Going door to door. Um, yeah. So you've got all your stuff. You're raring to go. You want to find the best place that you can be able to defend and keep zombies off forever. Build a life for yourself. But... Yeah, I don't know about you, but I don't really know how to how to properly defend a fortress, or you know, I haven't I haven't worked out how to get into a police station or wherever you're thinking about. So before, well, I've watched Les Miserables uh, a couple of times, so I, I know it's a man of barricade. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure they lost. <laughs> that is a good point. That is a good point. Sir. So um, so yeah, the the thing you really want to do first is you want to give yourself the time. To, to be able to really consider your options. So once, you, once you've arrived, uh, I don't know, your, your new Fort Knox, if it turns out not to quite be that Fort Knox you wanted, well, I mean, are you going to go back? You've just, you, you know, put all your eggs in one basket and gone to that place. And you haven't really got much option other than to do that. So you're going to need to take some time to work it out. So you have to give yourself that time. The zombies aren't going to wait. Mrs. Miller's already at the door knocking away. Um, so the first question is, if we're using you as a case study, is your house a single-story house, or is it multi-floor? I have two stories to my house. Well, three if you count the attic, but nobody ventures up there, because that's, that's where we keep my uh, deformed twin. I see. Okay, well, you don't want to impose on your deformed twin. You've already got the issue of the zombies. So, <laughs> so really, what most people do, and this is what I've heard quite a lot, is if you go up to the the first floor or the second story and bring all your stuff up there, then your next course of action, if you destroy the stairs, theoretically you should be safe. 
the issue with that that we have is, and I don't know about you, but I haven't got a fire escape coming out of my house. So once you're up there, you need to have planned a way down. So sliding down the banister. Now that's a pretty cool way to go, um, but it probably would be a way to go because <laughs> you're going to have to carry the generator, the food, the weapons all down into a pit of zombies that you're not really going to be able to see, especially if you've got stairs like I do. And they zigzag up. You're going to have a pit in the floor. So, but you could just blind them with how cool you sliding down the banister looks. Well, I mean, you need you need to pull it off pretty well then. We haven't all got yeah. those kinds of skills. <laughs> this is average Joe. <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. So, um, so how do I get down then? Like, what's what's my uh, what's my exit? Well, as a rule of thumb, now you should always have a a get out clause. You should always know your way down. So even if it's just having a, a really long ladder upstairs that you can poke out of a window and climb down you should have that in mind and that applies to wherever you go there's no point you you know arriving at this really lovely fortified bunker if you're going to get boxed in and you don't have a way out so that's okay that's rule number one um in this so rule, rule number one always have a get out plan yeah yeah um but once you've got that covered Hiding upstairs and making sure you've either destroyed the stairs or barricaded them effectively is a good way to go. Especially if you've if you've turned off all the lights, closed all the curtains. Presumably, zombies are going to have something that stimulates them to attack. Whether that be seeing you, hearing you, smelling you. If you can limit what they can use, you've got yourself a little bit more time. You can sit upstairs behind your barricades or destroyed stairs, get everything in order, and then look at your other options. So. Then we move on to the other options. Have you got any any places where you are that you think would be a particularly good idea in the in the nearby local like vicinity? Well, I think like general public use buildings, um, the smaller variety of public use buildings. Like, I, I, you don't want to be heading towards um, big shopping centres and stuff. Like, even though the movies, um, etc., like tell you to hole up in shopping centres. Um, you don't want to do that, really. No, no. Um, um, you need smaller municipal buildings. Um, like, churches are a good idea, um, as they usually only have one major entrance. Yeah, true. Um, um, stuff like that. So you've got churches, police stations, again, only usually have one major entrance, and there's lots of places to defend... And they're designed to be highly secure. Um, so stuff like that, I would assume, would be the best option. Yeah. So um, from what I've, I've gathered from reading, there's a good benefit to churches, provided you've got the right equipment. Because a lot of churches, not all, but a lot of churches will have some form of tower or steeple. And that's a pretty good vantage point. Like, you don't want to be surprised every time you, you step out for a supply run by hordes of zombies. You want to have that little bit of a vantage point, like a, a nest to sit up in and look at your situation. Um, I've, I've actually, anyone who's played the Walking Dead game um, may have come across the better use maybe for churches is if you can use them to, to lure zombies. Because by ringing the massive bell, you're presumably ringing their dinner bell. You're putting this big chime that says something is going on here. And provided they're attracted by noise, that can be quite a good way to lure them to one spot 
And if you if you've got the get out plan that's your rule number one, you can do a supply run and have maybe a secondary secondary hideout for when they when they're gathered there and then just return to the church once they've distributed. Which I thought was quite a good yeah. idea if offer it if you do it correctly and don't just run into a horde of zombies, then that's I thought that was quite an interesting method. Yeah, and I mean the the major issue with places like this is other people. Um, you've got to ensure that you are either the first people to reach these places, um, so you've got to be pretty close, or you've got to ensure that these places are secure. Like, if you turn up at a church and there's a lot of people inside, you've got to make sure that the status of the people is non-zombie. Yeah. Because the more people in a place and the more obvious a place is to travel to, to protect yourself, the more likely there's going to be someone who has been infected. And that is your number one priority in Apocalypse, is to remain away from people who are potentially being exposed to the virus. Yeah, and I mean, that applies so much to churches as well. Because, I mean, if I put myself in the shoes of a Christian who's just been bitten... And there's seen a lot of people turning into into these monsters. I would go to church and pray. And that is a fair if point. you turn up at the church hoping to turn it into a fortress, and you encounter this poor weeping person who's on their knees praying, are you going to throw them out? Because there's a good chance they're bitten. But most people in the spur of the moment isn't going to throw this this poor, poor distressed Christian out on on the threshold of the church and just lock them out. So it's something to consider if you're going to go for an area like that. Yeah, and I I think the same with police stations. You're looking at a place where people will go if they've been assaulted. And likely if someone's been assaulted, they'll go straight to the police station. And if they've been assaulted, there's a very good chance that they've been bitten as well. Yeah, yeah, very true. So if you find yourself immediately in the vicinity like if you as this thing is broken out or before your everybody else is aware of this breaking out if you listen to last month's um and you picked up on the signs before everyone else if you can head to these places first ensure that everyone knows what's going on and manage to fortify them quickly before the outbreak begins they are very very good places to go however if the outbreak has started and there's a possibility that other people are infected in these places. They can be, well, they can turn from a good place to survive very quickly to a death trap. So at that point, if you're not close to one of these places, sometimes it is, as you said, better stay in your house yeah. and wait it out until things die down a bit. Because the first couple of days can be the most dangerous parts yeah, it's, of the apocalypse. As we said in the last episode, um, the, the infection curve is going to be really steep to begin with because no one's expecting to be bitten and converted to a zombie. So everyone's just going to be you know, defenseless until they start seeing masses of people. So in those first few days, you don't want to be travelling miles and miles to reach a really highly populated church or something and you don't know how many of them are bitten. Even if you get there, you, know, you might not even get there because you've been bitten on the way. There's a, there's a lot of factors with that. And it's worth also mentioning that, you, I mean, it's not likely to happen in a church as such, but if you go to a prison or a police station, there's going to be a lot of, lot of people that if they 
if you encounter them and they're not infected, they're still not the people you necessarily want to band with. Um, they might not see you as useful and they might just bump you off there and then. It's it's dark, but you'd be surprised how quickly people would turn if turn to that sort of violence and killing if it meant they could prolong their life for a couple of months. What's to stop them just taking you out the picture? They don't want to feed you. Yeah. So it's something to, to watch out for if you're going to go to an area like a prison or a police station that might have holding cells or even just an area that's got a lot of um a lot of crime or gang gang territory um situations happening before the outbreak it's likely they're going to get dibs on the first good spots okay so really the the ultimate place the ideal place would be somewhere which is like large enough to house you effectively provide a good vantage point and uh be able to fortify like uh heavy as such like heavy doors etc um, but somewhere that is away from crowds and people. So, going against all Walking Dead, and I apologise if it's the second episode and we've already mentioned Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> I try to hold off as long as humanly possible, but it's just not possible to do so. Um, so going against all Walking Dead instincts, somewhere like a farmhouse. Yeah, yeah, it's it's out of the way, you've got land, um, Yeah, you you're not likely to get roving gangs come through and take it sounds ideal on the face of it and you've got fields usually fields which gives you a good vantage point of like the entire area and that's what you want um you want chance to react to things in a zombie apocalypse you don't want to be caught on the on the foot on the back foot and be surprised because at that point you're putting yourself in danger um, usually from zombies' point of view, etc., from a zombie point of view, even not from an actual zombie's point of view, <laughs> um, you want to be given time to deal with them because they're so slow and their brain processes are not as quick. If you are aware of them before they're aware of you, it is very unlikely that they're going to be able to outwit you. Yeah. Um, one one key thing to bear in mind with a, a farmhouse, I mean, normally they're, they're multi-story. It's all the, the same principles as your regular house. But the thing is with a farmhouse is you need to be aware that you're going to stand out in those fields um, to a zombie because presumably there's not many buildings around you. So you need to have some form of defense because um, the, the regular hedges and wooden gates of a farm is not going to be the best way to, to keep out zombies. You're going to want, even if it's just stacked sandbags, that you can see and hear being pulled down from a mile away. You're going to want to, to have some kind of a wall, some kind of a barricade, um, if nothing else, just to stop all your all your land being ravaged. I mean, the benefit of a farmhouse is you have fertile land to raise animals or plant crops. If they're just going to be trampled by zombies that walk past, well, then you might as well just stay in a, in a regular house. Well, I do hate my land being ravaged. I've got to be honest. It's, it's, it's a real pain. Pet peeves. It's a real pain. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a longer term solution. Um, again, these are all things that you need to be close to and you need to be easy to access to um, because there's no point going for like the perfect uh, hideout if it's like an hour away and you have to walk and you're most likely going to die on the way. Yeah. Also, from my experience of knowing um, knowing a few farmers or people who own like fields and land, it's probably not the best idea to seize the manor house or the, the farmhouse because quite a lot of them will tend to have shotguns of some kind. 
Um, my granddad had a, a small like orchard in his garden, and though it was never loaded, he had a shotgun that used to scare off the birds. Um, and it only takes someone to, to get a few bullets because they hear zombies, stick them in that gun, and you're trying to break into a house with someone who's immediately better armed than most people. So it's worth. It's probably not worth seizing that land. It's be, it's better to go looking for sanctuary than trying to overthrow someone who's going to shoot you as soon as you come through the window. Yeah. Again, like this is this is your decision. Um, your morals are going to affect how you deal with these situations. Um, purely from a survival point of view, you are probably better off alone. And you're probably better off being quite harsh with the way you deal with other people who wish to join you. But saying that, me personally, I don't know about you, Alex, but I want to re- retain some form of humanity. And if I'm in a situation where I'm able to help other people and to house them, then I'm going to do that because I would just feel like I'd want to keep my sanity that way. Yeah, I think I think for me, I'm I I would want to gather as many people I know and trust as possible. That way, you've got a big enough group for a group defense, um, and you've you've kept some level of humanity and human contact without having to entrust your life to strangers who might not have the same outlook on human life and humanity. So it's worth it's worth thinking about if you're going to be stuck in a ravaged world. Assume indefinitely with a group of people who do you want to be there and think about it hard because when when you when you've spent a couple of days with someone you're often on the verge of, of throttling them you know in a zombie zombie infested world it's, it's not unlikely that you will actually reach that point um try not to <laughs> disclaimer please do not throttle your friends yeah yeah it's, no it, it doesn't work out for anyone you, you're gonna have to to do something with the body you're one person down you're a murderer. <laughs> it's... When you say you're going to have to do something with the body... Well, yeah. You don't want to attract zombies. You don't know the smell of a carcass could do it. This is true. This is true. You've got to... It's always dispose of your dead people. Yeah, that's... Um, it's actually... We've gone slightly off of the where, but... Um, cremations. Apparently... Apparently, it's the, the most efficient way. And I can sort of see... Unless you're going to do, like, a, a burial at sea... I would probably say that burning the bodies prevents the the smell from lingering too much. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty sure if you burn a body, it's probably still going to smell for like for the time that it's burning. But I would say that it's a better bet than leaving just a, a rotting carcass around, both in the terms of disease and attracting God knows what zombies, um, wolves. <laughs> I don't know where you live. You could be could be dealing with all sorts. Well. On that note, you're going to need a large area of land um, in order to burn a body or to create a pyre big enough to do so. Um, And you obviously don't want to be attracting attention. Um, And that kind of brings us in a more or less segue uh, to the type of terrain you're going to need, or perhaps the best type of terrain to be on in, like, doing a zombie apocalypse. So there was a study... Um, conducted by Cornell University in America. Um, And they studied social situations and kind of developed a form of simulator to simulate the various, um, like, concepts, like, usual concepts, like, as we said, going to a shopping centre, like, farmhouses, um, 
etc. And they came up with several points. Um, the first of which is, and this is a direct quote, uh, we're all probably doomed. <laughs> um, okay, that's fair. So there you go. That was their first finding. But again, as long as you're not part of that like largely doomed group, um, this is the point of the podcast, to get you into that very small percent of survivors. We're not going to lie, people are probably going to die. Be the 1%. Um, <laughs> but they come up with the two sides of the spectrum. Um, and as we said last week, they agree with us, which is good. Um, but the more densely populated areas, like cities, uh, etc., are going to fall more quickly, and they are going to provide the greatest... Um, Upsurge? The greatest risk. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, they're also going to um, probably provide the most zombies. And people tend to yes. forget that once someone's bitten, they're not just out of the picture. That just adds to your problem. It 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 adds in the way that you've got less humans and more zombies. That's the the big thing about the zombie outbreak is that with every person that you lose, you potentially add an enemy. Um, and that's that's a major issue when people are talking about, oh, I'll just go to this place. A lot of time you have to go quite close to big cities to go from what like point A to point B. And there's going to be quite a lot of zombies around there. I think people forget that quite a lot. Yeah. So the, their advice um, was to listen to Iron Maiden and literally run for the hills. <laughs> um, they said that... Um, well, I'll, I'll go through their, 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 um, their models and how they came to their results because um, there might be some more scientific people out there interested in and I don't mean to summarize like years of work into five minutes but I'll give it a go so um Alemi one of the the um the researchers um said they used a lot of techniques to model um these things uh, real diseases um like different population densities um how different people would react like zombie on human zombie on zombie human on human and they came to the conclusion um as they're in Cornell obviously that like the Rockies is the best place to go the mountain range um but they said that for zombies to penetrate more mountainous and rural areas could take upwards of months um in comparison to days for a city and then weeks for a less uh, more sparsely populated rural area, but mountains would be the last place um, where these zombies would probably move to. And this is because of really the sparsity of food for zombies, because it's, it, it's easy to remember the zombies need sustenance as well, and they'll be looking to spread the disease and attack humans. So they are going to, go, they are going to congregate, not only because the humans turn into zombies, but they're going to congregate in more densely populated areas. So mountain ranges, etc., are probably the best place to go if you have one near you, um, or at least hilly regions. Yeah. So if we look at the the pros of, of actually going to a hilly region, this is where my, my trip to Iceland will come in handy now. There you go, field research. It's very, very exhausting just going up an incline. Um, if you, you do it for... I think we we did some, some power walking up... Um, up a mountainous valley area and took us about 20 minutes to get up there and we we were all pretty puffed out now you consider something that has got almost no hand-eye coordination whatsoever and is only driven by 
wanting to to reach a a victim to bite there's a good chance they're going to fall a lot and it, it applies to just any just about any warfare is that you've got the high ground um so a benefit of mountains or hilly regions is you you being a human being able to like repair your muscles and having the coordination to climb up inclines will give you that high ground and then it's just a matter of maintaining it um yeah it's something simple like that it you wouldn't necessarily think it's a game changer but if you're looking down on your enemy you have hundreds of zombies trying to climb the mountain but if one falls they're all going to like tumble like dominoes and i mean like this this also counts for you i mean you're you're looking at a risk higher risk reward situation here um to scale the hill yourself you are going to be subject to some of the pitfalls uh, literally sometimes pitfalls uh, <laughs> where you could possibly break uh, bones, ankles, uh, you could tear muscles. Like these, this could happen to you. Um, but if you can actually manage to scale this hill and you have enough survival skills, which we will discuss in a later podcast, we have someone actually coming in to discuss survival skills with us, I believe. Um, you, If you have the survival skills to survive in these mountainous regions, you can hold out for a long time. Um, and you're pretty safe once you're up there and set up. This is one of the safest ways to survive long term. Yeah. And I mean, if you can get some climbing equipment together and you have a basic knowledge of climbing, if you can climb a steep, steep incline that is only able to be climbed through the use of climbing equipment, you are safe once you get to the top. If you can manage to sustain yourself while at the top... Uh, through the use of spring water and maybe your own form of uh, vegetation, etc., you are safe, almost indefinitely. Um, there's obviously still some chances that things could befall you, but it's in comparison to your other options. If you're able to get there, you're safe. Yeah, and um, I think it's worth looking at one of the big things um, that people might not consider and that's um, things like altitude sickness and things like that. Um, obviously, there's going to be a level of you've just got to be in shape. There's no like other way around it. You've got to be in shape and you have to be like aware. So it's going to be cold. Like be aware of that. If you're going up a mountain, prepare for the cold. Because if you get up there and you can stay warm, then that's one less thing you've got to worry about. If you get up there and you know how to how to cope with altitude sickness and you're prepared for for maybe low levels of oxygen then again it's another thing you you've got you don't have to worry about and anyone who's also fighting for that spot might not be as aware it's just being worth bearing in mind these little things that come with just survival in the wilderness in general it's also going to be wet as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So keep yourself dry. Like, this is... Uh, the the rule of survival is if you're warm and dry, you have a very good chance. Yeah. Um, if you're wet and cold, you're probably going to die. I mean, a good thing about um, mountains as well, I suppose, is that they've got a form of drainage. Because a lot of the, the grass up there, um, especially, like, if you're talking about a proper mountain... The rock is probably going to be quite solid igneous rock, um, not very, uh, I've forgotten what it's called, permeable. So the water is likely to to just seep through the grass and run off, um, which is how streams are formed. So it's worth looking out for little springs like that that you can you can drink from, provided they look clean. 
but also try and build and exploit that drainage. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like the problem with that is you're going to struggle for fertile land on a mountain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you can find these things, again, this is the point. It is a very high risk to like travel there and set yourself up. But yeah, I mean, a good a good thing to consider is what stuff already live in mountains. So things like llamas, um, goats, they tend to be able to deal with altitude quite well. And I think if I remember my zoology, which I should know very well because I'm still studying. Um, yeah, you should. Yeah. Geese. Geese apparently have a really high um, affinity for oxygen. So at high altitudes, they're fine. And if we take the, the Romans as a good example, they can form pretty good. They can act as pretty good guard animals, alert you to someone coming. Um, they're pretty aggressive and lay eggs. You can eat them. I wouldn't recommend eating them before they provide you with eggs. It's probably more sustain, sustainable to have the eggs. But... <laughs> yeah, things like... Yeah, so yeah, you've got... like If you can set these things up, you are safe. And you're going to have a good time with it. I mean, it's going to be tough living on a mountain. It will. Uh, um, but it's even tougher being eaten by a zombie. Yeah, and we... I mean, my dad has a... Has quite a love of a show called Mountain Men. So... Little um, survival keys from shows like that could could be the difference between life and death. It's it's um, I'm I'm now uh, outright just promoting these <laughs> Yukon men and mountain men. They they have it they have it right. Look look at their survival skills. Things that they do to to stay alive. They all keep themselves dry, keep themselves warm, make sure they're fed. Um, definitely worth being included in on that stuff before climbing the mountain. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the the problem you're going to have with mountain survival is if you have a family or if you have small children with you, yeah. um, th- it could be more difficult than to scale and set up on a mountain because they're obviously more, um, they're at more risk to the elements and the dangers the mountains present. Yeah, children are going to struggle as well with such harsh environment. They're going to have lower immunity just naturally. Um, it's going to be quite tiring. They're going to have littler legs. So yeah, and that leads us quite neatly and quite nicely on to our next section, which is listener mail. Okay, welcome to today's final section of the podcast. And this is a new section that we're going to be doing every week, and it's entitled Listener Mail, um, where we address your questions on how to survive in a zombie apocalypse. Um, This week, Alex, we had one uh, listener mail, which was good for our first podcast, because I was expecting it to, nothing to come through. Um, Who's it from? And... The mail was from John uh, from Grimsby. So, hi, John. Thank you, John. Uh, thanks for emailing us. <laughs> and not leaving us with egg on our face. Uh, and the email was as follows. Uh, Dear Average Joes, Hey, guys, this is the first time I've written into a podcast, but I really wanted to know what was the best course of action for me and my family doing an outbreak. Me and my wife have four children, and we are worried that in an apocalypse situation, it may be hard to keep them all safe and fed. How do we get around this, as I feel that my wife would rather our kids weren't devoured, and if they were, it may impact on her emotional health. Thanks, guys. Great podcast, by the way. And that was from John 
from Grimsby. So I've got three solutions for this, Alex. Okay, well, I, w- I would like to hear these solutions first, then. Okay, so I'll start... Well, they're the varying degrees of um, harshness, I suppose. <laughs> um, the first solution is to pick a favourite. <laughs> um, take that one, leave the rest. <laughs> they're gone now. Oh, my God. Um, and at least you've got one... Um, to keep the memories. The second solution is to use them as mobile food packages. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, effective. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can... It's, it's, it, eating children is probably ethically dodgy, to say the least, but if you feed them, they are a way of transporting food. They would be tender. Um, even though I wouldn't recommend it, and this probably not the answer that John was looking for. <laughs> um, but on a serious note, I have looked into child psychology in situations like this, um, which is probably more research than I've done for the last four years of my university degree, but there we go. That's fair. Okay. And the best way to deal with this is to be upfront with your kids. Yeah. You need to explain to them the situation you're in. Not in as enough detail to really explain that, like, people could be devoured and um, in that much gory detail, but just to explain that this is a situation which could be potentially dangerous um, and they need to be listening to you at all times and obey you in these situations at all times. Um, this has two effects from a psychological point of view. The first effect is that it prepares children for these situations to occur. Um Obviously, if one of their family members is eaten or attacked, um, it's going to have a really bad psychological effect on not only the adult, but in the situation, definitely on the child. But the psychological effect and the trauma is lessened if they are prepared in advance. Um, The second effect is children are more intelligent, really, than you think, um, and they're able to digest a lot more. So if you actually explain to them the situation you happen to be in um, and how important it is that they listen to you, yeah. Then they have much more of a capacity for sensible thought than most people give them credit for. So if you just explain that this is a situation which can be potentially dangerous and they need to obey you at all times and listen to you in these situations, they probably surprise you how quickly they can mature. Um, and that's really, from a psychological point, where you need to deal with it. You need to treat them as more mature than you would in a normal situation. Uh, they have the capacity for that, but really... In a zombie apocalypse, kids are going to have to grow up a lot quicker yeah. than you'd want them to. Yeah, they're not going to have the luxury of, you know, relying relying just on, you know, the the society they live in and the things that are provided by generations prior. Um, I think my advice would actually be pretty close to yours, but I'll say it anyway. Um, it's quite, for me, dependent on the ages of the children. The issue, I think, that most families will have in a zombie apocalypse is once a child is somewhere between say 12 and 16 they probably think they can take on the world but they can't once you're beyond 16 you're probably capable of actually you know adding to the to the effort and once and before you're you're 12 you're probably terrified but somewhere in between those teenage ages you're gonna that's when you really have to make sure they're aware that no one person is just gonna save the world by themselves because especially in this this day and age with a lot of video games and films and media exposure of zombies i can guarantee you most kids will probably think they can take on the horde of zombies by themselves 
I mean, most people I've spoken to believe they'll survive. And if that study is anything to go on, most of them have to be wrong, myself included. I, I, I think I could survive and I have no reason to believe that. So I've never met a zombie. So between those ages, definitely worth like laying down the law and explaining, explaining the situation in a way they can really understand the consequences. Like there is no respawn point. If you get bit, you, you're done for. Um, as for younger kids, I would probably go with the, the whole thing about their mind being a sponge. Just raise them as if it's always a threat. Just like you raise kids to be wary of strangers. Raise them just to be wary of zombies and not curious as to what they're going to do. Just immediately recognize that as a threat and know how to get back to the group or back to, back to safety. I think that's, that's the big point because at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to look after four kids constantly while keeping yourself and your wife alive. You know, it's, it's a big job at the best of times when you're not being chased by zombies. You're going to need them eventually to have initiative. And that to do that, they're going to need to understand. There's no point sugarcoating um, the situation. You have to tell them that it's dangerous to go up to these people and not to approach them um, to make sure they follow your instructions and in those situations. Um, and I guess the whole thing about terrain as well. Yeah, if you've got a, a three-year-old, they're probably not going to be able to scale a mountain with you. You're going to have to find some way of transporting them. Yeah, and I'm that, that's completely really what you've got to do. I mean, set contingency plans because kids work better if they have a set out plan. Um, for example, if the like John said, he, he has his wife with him, um, then make sure that you split the two children. So in a situation where you get split up or anything, they know who they're going with and to stay close to that person. Um, maybe set up you plan for the worst. So set up a meeting point. Um, give them all radio contact points and plan as if the worst could happen. And if you manage to do that and you successfully plan for the worst, then realistically the best, you're in the best situation to survive the worst then. Yeah. And one big thing that I really can't stress enough is once you've, once you've settled down in a place you think is reasonably safe, educate them. Like, educate them in how to use a weapon, how to maintain a weapon. Educate them in in disease and like general health, um, keeping like you, yourself sanitary and things like that. Because we take a lot of those things for granted because we had years and years of school. Many of us are still in education. They are unlikely to to have that. It might be cut short, or they might not. If it's a really young child, might not have even entered education. They won't know these things unless you tell them. And as much as you might want them to be growing up in a world which is ideal when they don't need to know how to handle a weapon of some kind. It's not going to help them if they can't use it. So just show them these things. Like they will pick up on it really quickly as a, as a young, a young child or um, approaching teenager. I think that's when your mind absorbs the most information. If you can get that ingrained there straight away, they're probably going to turn out to be better survivors than you yourself, which um, should be a good thing. It could be beneficial as well to allow, it, it, obviously, as a parent, like, obviously not one myself, but as a parent, <laughs> you, I assume you, you, at least I hope not, <laughs> you, you, you want your children to be children as well. Um, so you've got to find ways of, like, bringing them up and still allowing them that fun um, yeah. in this environment. So things like um, I Spy, for example, 
is a very good method of not only playing games with your children and allowing them to be children, but at the same time, it increases their their mind and allows them to be vigilant more often and they're looking out for different things. You know, that kind of thing where you're allowing them to be kids, but you're also increasing their survive, uh, their ability to survive at the same time. So I spy again, perfect, because they're looking out for things. Um, you're increasing their ability to see things and to be perceptive at the same time as allowing them to be kids. And if you keep doing things like that with them, and make it fun as well as letting them know that this could be a serious situation very quickly, then that's the perfect balance. Obviously, that's easier said than done, but as parents, you know your children. Um, yeah. So you need to have a bit of discretion in the way that you deal with your children. And also... But games, etc. would work. Yeah, it's you, you want them to have some social skills as well. Because ideally, I mean, no one should go out with with the assumption that they're never going to see another person because you're in the wrong frame of mind. Um, you want to go out assuming that you're going to do your very best to be able to find people and rebuild some kind of community in the end. That should be your, your, your hope. It should keep you like going that there's you're not like the only person in the world left just hanging on um and so you want them to have these social skills because when if it comes to one group meeting another you're only going to be able to share resources and safety if you can all work together and again it's something most people take for granted these like social skills and being able to to share things like that it's it doesn't come naturally you have to teach it you need to educate your kids about these social cons constructs that might not necessarily be exposed to them until years down the line um and things like the concept of losing i know that when i was younger i, I never wanted to lose and never really expected failure to be an option in a zombie apocalypse world that's quite dangerous like if you you see overwhelming odds like masses of zombies in a supermarket you're still going to run in that one item it's you want to have that notion that you might not actually succeed you want to ingrain that little games where they don't always win is a good way to teach them that yeah so just trust your kids and trust yourself as a parent you are... if you're honest and upfront and you do your best then lightly you'll be fine yeah the only time you're going to be causing problems for yourself is if you try and treat them too much like kids, or try and protect them too much. Yeah. Um, and as long as you strike a balance, but they, which will be your own discretion, you'll be fine. Yeah. Like, uh, or at least you, you'll increase your chances, I suppose. Yeah. I think the, the real big piece of advice, if you could only take one thing from this, is just don't make them think they're not in a zombie apocalypse world. Um, that's that's a pretty dangerous lie to, to feed them. You know, let, let them know. Let, let them know what they need to what is expected of them and then then give them the luxuries to be able to still grow up with that in mind i, I think they'll do fine i have a lot of hope for the the next generation of humans <laughs> i'm glad well there you go uh hope that answers your question john um thanks for being our first first listener mail first um, of many, it was good to have yeah first many and you can uh you listeners can write in um like John, uh, at average 
joeszombiesurvival at gmail.com and we'll we'll try and get to every email if we get a bit more. If not, we'll uh, we'll definitely get your emails, and we really do enjoy reading them, and uh, we're we're looking forward to them. And if you have any topics for a podcast, even yeah, um, yeah, it'd be nice. Just email in. Don't be afraid to correspond with us and uh, chat for us. Uh, it, it'd be good to hear from you uh, rather than just speaking into a microphone on that end. Yeah, we need we need some some average Joes to let us know what they're thinking as well. It needs to be a two-way thing. What together as people. Yep. And on that note, that's this week done. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Again, we will try and get podcasts out every two weeks now. And we promise to be a bit more attentive and because none of us are jet- jetting around the world as such, <laughs> uh, we'll try and we'll try and keep keep up with our promises this time. Yeah. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, Alex, for joining me um, over Skype. My pleasure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Stay safe. Guys, it's me again. Sorry to jump in at the end of the episode, but uh, now that I've gone through the editing and stuff, I just wanted to point out that I made a slight mistake on the email address, which is averagejoezombie at gmail.com rather than just survival at gmail.com. And also, uh, now that I've been through the editing, I realised that the sound quality is a bit poorer than last time, and I'd like to apologise for that. It's just that we are trying to do this uh, this podcast over long distance um, via Skype, and we didn't quite have the equipment on hand that would have made the sound quality as good as it was last time. Um, hopefully that'll be rectified by two weeks' time and the editing will be a little bit sharper for you. Um, Regardless of that, I hope you enjoyed the content this week, and again, thank you for listening.